Welcome to Trial Lawyer View, a podcast for and about trial lawyers. We will tell the stories about trial lawyers go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. This is about their stories and their practices. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Lazarus, your host for Trial Lawyer View. Thank you for tuning in today for another episode. Trial Lawyer View is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. In full disclosure, I'm not a professional podcaster. Instead, my day job is Chief Executive Officer of Synergy Settlement Services. Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues that arise at settlement, like troublesome lien resolution issues, Medicare secondary payer compliance, government benefit preservation techniques, in complex settlement planning. Joining me today on Trial Lawyer Review is Stephanie Everett. She's the CEO and head coach of Lawyerus Lab Coaching Program. Lawyerus is a team of lawyers, legal tech aficionados, business coaches, subject matter experts, kick-ass team members, champions for access to justice, and stewards changing the legal industry by guiding healthier businesses. Sounds awesome. They exist to help guide healthier small law firms and be the go-to resource for teams building better law businesses. Uh, And a little bit about Stephanie, uh, read a little bit of her bio. She understands what it's like to practice law and run a business. She started her career at a big law firm before co-founding her own real estate litigation firm. As the managing partner, she watched her firm grow from two lawyers to a team of 20 people in just seven years. Her passion for running a business led her to pursue coaching and consulting so she could help other lawyers who work hard but often felt stuck in their businesses. In 2016, she was tapped by a joint venture comprising the State Bar of Georgia, the Georgia Supreme Court, and Georgia's five law schools to design and launch Lawyers for Equal Justice, an incubator helping new lawyers start socially conscious law firms. Stephanie joined Lawyerist in 2018 and launched the Lawyerist Lab program. She is a co-author of Lawyerist's popular book, The Small Firm Roadmap, and the host of the Lawyerist podcast. She earned her BA from Oglethorpe University and her JD from Georgia State University College of Law. And I was really interested in having Stephanie as a guest because she's an expert on the business of running a law practice and co-authored a book on the subject. So, um, Stephanie, welcome to Trial Lawyer Review. Thank you, thank you for joining me today as a guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, so the, there's an amazing amount of interesting content related to the concept of the business of running a law practice. So I want to skip a lot of the background questions and really get into the meat of the subject. Um, and I, there was something that uh, I read that was a quote, and I really thought it was um, thought provoking just as a starting point. And it's, it's about lawyers. We help lawyers learn what law school left out, how to build, grow and manage a law firm. And I thought that was so beautiful. One of my biggest regrets, I went to Florida state for law school was they had a, a dual MBA program with a JD and I didn't do it. Cause I, I never thought I'd wind up in business, you know, so to speak, but now that's all I do. And uh, I think that that's, you know, so many lawyers don't have that background and maybe miss some of the critical things about building a law firm as a business, because that's an important part. So anyway, I just wanted to ask you a more open-ended question to start with just about that quote, because it it really kind of struck a chord with me. Yeah. And I mean, I think to be fair, even if you had gotten that MBA, you probably still would have missed some of the day-to-day things that it are really the points we struggle with. Like I, I work with lawyers. Uh, let's just take hiring. Hiring is really hard. And in today's market, it's maybe even a little bit harder, but there was no HR class. No one taught us that there is actually a skill to hiring someone to how you write your job descriptions. Like your posting needs to be a marketing piece that positions what you can offer and what you bring that's different. So you can attract the right candidates. And then you need to actually interview people with an eye towards figuring out who's going to be a good fit for your team. Like I was probably told, maybe you are too, just by the people who trained me, you know, figure out who you want to go have a beer with after work and hire that person. Well, 
maybe who I want to have a beer with does not actually work the way I need my team to work. Like if I'm a very systems driven, process driven law firm, and the guy that I want to have a beer with is does not work well in systems, then that is terrible advice. So I think we kind of often as lawyers and law firm owners, we just kind of had to figure it out and learn the hard way by trial and error. And so I'm kind of glad that I get to maybe speed up that process and help people with really tactical things they need to know to run a business. It's a great point. There's, there's so much of that that I've learned by trial and error, the really hard way uh, between my law practice and synergy. So that, that definitely resonates with me, uh, especially on the hiring side, because that's one of the areas where, you know, it, it really does make a huge difference when you hire the right person for the right seat. And when you get it wrong, it can be quite painful. Absolutely. So yeah, one of the other things when I was doing the research for the podcast that jumped out at me um, was the idea of, of helping lawyers create their best business, that being a great trial lawyer is, is not enough. So I was wondering if you could share maybe the top three to five strategies you recommend for a personal injury law firm to create the best business experience for clients or just to avoid general business issues overall. Yeah. I mean, I'd start with one piece of advice that I'd give to any business, which is like, you have to understand what it is you're trying to build. And it sounds so simple and maybe just like overused. And yet so many times when I ask an attorney, what is it you're building? What do you care about? What do you want this thing to look like? What do you want your life to look like? Like, are you building a business that supports the life you want to live instead of just, oh, I think I want to be my own boss, right? Because maybe I, I don't know what that necessarily looks like. And so one is to really get some clarity around what is this thing you want to build? Um, how much money do you want to make and need to make? And what do you want your life to look like? Like I had someone yesterday that they're like, I want to work four days a week. I have people who are running their law firm from Spain every summer, right? Like all these things are possible in today's world, but you have to make it happen. And that starts with being really clear on what that goal, what that end point looks like. So that's, that's probably number one. Um, and then I think we get specific into PI firms. They have a unique challenge because of their business model. And so I think you have to really understand how a PI firm works in terms of managing your pipeline and managing your cash flow. Because I've seen, unfortunately, like some lawyers are really focused on the marketing and they're getting cases in and they're signing clients up. But if you're not, um, if you're doing injury work and you're not making sure your clients are going to their appointments and getting the treatment they need and then following up so that you're building your case and you're doing all these things, like you have to manage your cases very specifically to try to maximize the award. And then you have to get those settlements or trials in, right? So you got to turn that work into cash. And I think that is a unique skill set, or at least you have to be intentional about it. Um, you can't just be a good lawyer. Like you need to understand how to move your inventory through the firm. I mean, and is that what you see in your work with PI firms? Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly, you know, the challenge I think that some firms have or, you know, I mean, it, it, it could be that, you know, they're they're inexperienced on the marketing side of it. And so they're they're struggling to get cases in or it could be the flip. They have so many cases in the door, but they don't have the right processes and, and backbone to actually litigate those files. So it's it is, you know, the the idea of having these a framework and a process for your business. I mean, it applies whether it's, you know, a company like Synergy, which doesn't practice law or a law firm. I mean, any, any of those. And, and the idea of knowing what you want your firm to be, you know, I, I would use the, the example of in Orlando, there's Morgan and Morgan, which is, um, you know, has become uh, a national law firm, you know, one of the largest, it, they say the the largest personal injury law firm in the country, you know, are, are you looking to build that or are you looking to be, you know, you and one other partner and, you know, a small team knowing 
what you want and how to position yourself correctly in the market is a big deal. You know, being here in Orlando, for example, when you have a firm like Morgan & Morgan that's spending such a massive amount of money on advertising locally, then you have to figure out, well, how am I going to get business in that market? Because you're not going to outspend Morgan & Morgan on TV. Yeah. And luckily you don't have to, right? Like you just need to understand what value you bring and then figure out a way to articulate that and put that message in the right place. I think if you take my inventory kind of tip or guide, whatever we want to call it, there's really a lot to unpack there. And so it's it's easy to just say, yeah, you need to be able to manage your inventory, but that then requires systems and processes and understanding how the cases work and being able to understand the value of a potential case, how much you might be able to get for it, how you're going to, you know, finance the the spend on that case. There is a lot built into that statement. We could probably spend like several hours just on that topic. But I think if you're practicing PI, you need to understand that that's your business model and you need to understand how many cases you probably need or at what level, what types of cases you need and how many you need at any given time based on the team that you have. And as those fluctuate, you know, you can you can do things to you can pull levers to be able to take on more cases. Maybe you have to hire more staff or have better technology, or have more efficient systems. But but really just understanding how your business works. I think sometimes we graduate from law school and think I'm smart. I'm a good lawyer. I'm going to go out there and people will just hire me because they think I'm a good lawyer. And I, and I am a good lawyer. But unfortunately, when we're in when you're running a firm, you have to really understand how it works, how the sausage is going to get made so that you can make sure, you know, you, you make money and you're able to pay the bills and you're maybe able to take those cases and, and turn them into money for your firm and the clients. It's a great point. You know, the, the, especially the pipeline. And, and we actually internally do that for our lean resolution group, because we're monitoring how many files our uh, folks are handling and how many they should be handling to get the optimal result for the injury victim, which is always our goal, is, is to get the deepest discount and, and negotiate and resolve that lien for the lowest possible dollar figure. But we're monitoring and measuring that. And it took us a while to figure out how we needed to do that and the metrics around it. But if you don't, if you don't take the time to develop that information, that data, then you're flying blind. I mean, you, you, you might have some sense of what's going on, but if, unless you're measuring it, you really have no way to know if there are levers to pull that will help the, the law firm operate better as a business. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, your goal should be to remove friction, right? So you're looking for those bottlenecks, the roadblocks that are coming up, and you want to take it from both perspectives. Like you want to sit in your client's shoes, first of all, is where you should always start and say, what is my client experiencing when they come to hire me? They're hurt. They've never done this before. Maybe they've never even been to an attorney's office. That that could be very intimidating. So you want to anticipate and think through how can you make this as easy as a process as possible? How can you anticipate their questions? What are they scared to ask you? How can you give them that information in a really digestible way? And by the way, often and over and over again, we're like the chief reminding officer for our clients and often our team because they'd hear it once, but that's not enough. And so you want to build your, your firm and your system and processes first with your client in mind and, and figure out how you can make their experience amazing and wonderful so that they love you and they become advocates and they send you more work or send you their friends. And then you want to think about it from the back end on the business too. And I think this is where some opportunities, like you were saying, you know, maybe you find that there's a bottleneck, like in the work that you do on the backside with the liens, and you're seeing that that's where we're getting stuck in the process. If that's what's holding up your inventory and you can outsource that and delegate that and eliminate that bottleneck, your business can flow smoother. So you have to understand what your whole process looks like and where things are happening so that you can then constantly optimize and improve it. I sort of asked this as part of the last question, but I think I probably should have broke it out uh, on its own. You know, what, what are the strategies to avoid, you know, negative issues cropping up in your, in your business model? Cause one of the things 
that I, I do presentations about, for example, is, you know, avoiding ethics and malpractice traps when personal injury cases settle. But, you know, I, I, I know from listening to another podcast that you were on, you had talked about billing and communication being very large sources of ethics complaints for law firms. So how do you build your systems and practices within your firm to avoid any type of business issues that are going to have a negative client experience? You were just talking about the client, like thinking through those things with the client experience in mind. Yeah. I mean, we still continue to hear communication um, and unfortunately, money issues are the two biggest drivers of bar complaints. Um, and I think like it, it probably all comes back to the very first thing you you asked me, which is we weren't taught how to run a business in law school. And so we're out here trying to practice law and and handle an enormous amount of work. And on top of practicing law, a lot of us are also running a business, managing a team, dealing with HR issues, dealing with finance, tech, you know, you name it, you're kind of wearing I, people often when they hire me, they're like, I need help. I'm overwhelmed and I need help, you know, um, with productivity, time management skills. And the first thing I say to everyone is, no, you probably are very productive. You're just wearing like 15 different hats and you don't realize it. Um, so let's get some of those hats off and let other people do that so that you can focus on the things that only you can do. So when we wear that many hats, it's not surprising that we don't have the time or ability to keep our clients informed, like little things like they don't understand. Like one of the best silliest examples I have, I think this was like an amazing client centered experience app, Domino's pizza. I don't care. Maybe it's terrible. Pe My husband would be like, oh, it's, the, it's the terrible pizza. Our daughter loves it. But I think one of the reasons she loves it is like when we order on the app, what happens? We get this Domino's pizza tracker, right? And they tell us your pizza is being handcrafted by the expert pizza maker and they're putting delicious toppings on your pizza right now. And then it moves over and it's like, now it's getting hot and bubbly in the oven, right? And it's kind of exciting. And we know, okay, now it's in the oven. And then finally it goes out to the driver and now we can even track and watch where the driver's, you know, driving around the neighborhood. For our clients, think about that from what they experience when they come to work with us. Um, they come in, they don't understand the process. We may tell them it's going to be long. It's going to take for, you know, this many, but they don't understand. All they know is they've hired you and, and that's it. And then they go away. Right. And maybe they hear from you and maybe they don't. It's months and months and months go by sometimes. And our clients just don't understand. They don't know if the pizza's in the oven or if we're putting toppings on the on something like it just is a black hole. And so again, I want to just acknowledge, I appreciate that attorneys are like, I'm so overwhelmed and busy. Like the last thing I have time to do is send out an email that says there's nothing new in your case. Like I tell my clients, there's nothing new. You'll know if you, if I, if you don't hear from me, it's, it's good. It means nothing's happened, but that's just not simply good enough. We need a, and now the, here's the good news. There's technology tools out there. I mean, there's tech tools that will just automatically send your client a text or an email every, whatever you said it every two weeks, every three weeks that says nothing's changing your case. You're still at this stage. So we don't even have, we can, we can automate that and take it out of our brain that we don't have to remember to send the updates, but these simple things like keeping our clients informed and understanding and knowing where they are in the process is a huge, huge driver of making our clients happy and avoiding bar complaints, quite frankly, because that's where they, when they don't know what's going on is when they get frustrated. I mean, same thing in the medical practice. We know that doctors who have the best bedside manner and are just liked by their clients get sued for malpractice less. It's not because they're making fewer mistakes. Um, it's just because people don't tend to sue the doctor if they like their doctor. The communication thing is, is so important. I, I've been going back and forth with an injury victim who found some stuff I'd written on the internet about liens. And it's abundantly clear to me that his lawyer never explained anything about the lien and the, the resolution of his lien because he was asking me, uh, you know, could, could we handle negotiating the lien? So the last back and forth was, I said, you know, did, 
did your lawyer already negotiate with this lien holder and agree to pay back the lien? And, and that's what had apparently happened, but he didn't realize at that point, that's it, it's done. You know, there can't be any further reduction. And so, you know, making sure that clients understand even what a lien is, I, I'm in the process of writing my second book and it's, it's for injury victims to explain things like this because many times you know, the, the injury victim just simply doesn't understand this, which is understandable because they've never had to deal with it before in their life. If they've not been injured before, they're not going to understand that concept. So, you know, making sure that clients are educated uh, at the outset and communication throughout the case are probably two really great ways of making sure that ultimately, you know, you're, you're not going to have that kind of a complaint at the end of the case. Yeah. And I would imagine if I was an injury victim, I would think like if we got to settlement or if we got to a verdict, that feels like conclusion. And we, and you and I both know that that's not the case, that then there's a whole bunch more sausage that has to get made before that turns into cash. And so if as the attorney, like we have the opportunity and quite frankly, the obligation to explain the entire process to our clients upfront, but then also over and over again. Like, again, this is overwhelming to them. They don't know it. They don't understand it. And so this is where, and they, maybe they take in information differently. So one of the, um, one of the guys on our staff, who's a, who's a coach, but he also runs his own PI firm and he does coaching with us. I think he, he has all of this communication automated. And in the first 90 days that a, a client comes on, they can consume like 72 different messages, right? And it's videos and it's infographics or it's articles. It's lots of different ways. So really being responsive. And by the way, if you're hearing that and you're freaking out, cause you're like, I don't even have one. He didn't start with 72 that go out in the first 90 days, he started with one. And then a couple of months later, he's like, Oh, let me add. This is another question I keep getting. Let me shoot a quick video on that. And then maybe the next week, let me do a, an article on this. So you just have, but you have to get started. You have to spend time thinking about your business and thinking about how you can make your, your client experience better. Ultimately, your business will be more profitable if you do this. It's it's really easy, but but you have to start to kind of get started. And I know for a lot of us, when we're already overwhelmed and feeling overworked, it's like how how do I even carve that next thing out of, on my plate? Absolutely, yeah. In um, doing my research for the podcast, I heard you talk about the practice of law being perceived as a profession, not a business, and I. I I think we've already hit on it, but maybe maybe there's some finer points so that you want to cover about what the problem is with the idea of it simply being a profession and, and law firms not operating as a business. Yeah, it's funny. I had this conversation yesterday at a conference because we were like, we thought we were done with that conversation. <laughs> uh, 12 years ago, like people wanted to throw books at us or staplers or something. Like if you if you dare suggest to a lawyer that they think of their law firm as a business, it was really not okay. I think now most people recognize that there's learning, that we are in fact business owners and therefore it is okay to look at best business practices and what it means to run a good business. And just because we are a profession doesn't mean we should ignore what we know are, are sound business decisions. We can be a profession and still keep our clients interests in mind. Cause I think that's the, maybe that's the real disconnect here is people want to say, well, we're a profession. We have this ethical duty and obligation and professional duty to do right by our clients. And my point is you, by running a smart business and doing all the things I just described, you are fulfilling all of those professional obligations. Like it's one in the same. It's the people who aren't running good businesses that often are the subject of complaints and professional complaints because they're not communicating or they're not keeping their books straight and they're screwing up their money. Like they're doing the, the, the things that a good business owner would not do. So this is going to be a bit self-serving, but I think it ties into what you were just talking about. You know, when we, when we talk to a law firm about partnering with Synergy and 
outsourcing lean resolution functions to us, um, we, we talk about it in the terms of making the law firm, law firm more efficient and operating um, optimally and then getting the best possible result for the injury victim at the same time. So they're not mutually exclusive. You know, the, the idea is that outsourcing of lean resolution will make the law firm uh, operate more efficiently by reducing operating expenses, gives that law firm a team of experts who help with an area that's complex. You got ERISA, you got military, you got FIBA, you got Medicare, Medicaid, you, hospital bills, you got all sorts of things that you're dealing with in, in the context of liens. And then on top of that, you got recovery contractors that have thousands of employees who are just trying to recover as much as they possibly can for the insurance plan. So you need the PI law firm needs that team of experts. But then importantly, on the flip side, getting the best possible reduction for the injury victim when it comes to what must be paid back ultimately to that lien holder. So that idea, it, they're not mutually exclusive. You've got, you've got the ability to run your firm in a more efficient way and get a better end result for the injury victim at the same time. So thinking along those lines in every aspect of how a personal injury law firm delivers to their client seems prudent if you're really going to focus on running your business efficiently and optimally and best client experience. Yeah. I mean, I think so. It feels kind of no brainer to me, but I, you know, I'm already there with you. I guess you don't have to convince me. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you? I mean, again, I come back to the 15 hats that most people are wearing when I meet them like let's remove that lean hat that that in it the way you just described it and all those you know government entities like that's a big hat that probably is a very heavy hat so if you can outsource that and get a better result for your client do it because you'll be able to you will still you will make more money i don't know like sometimes we have this idea that if we let go of work somehow we're going to make less like we have to be the ones to do it and that's just not true um, so the more, um, the more you can fire yourself, like what jobs can you fire yourself from today? And you should do that. And then next week, fire yourself from two more jobs. And then the next week, three more, and just keep firing yourself. And it sounds counterintuitive, but you'll be happier and your business will be more successful if you can get the people who are great at doing what they do, doing that. And then you do what you're really great at doing. And it kind of works out. And it goes back to our, our tagline, allowing trial lawyers to focus on what they do best. But that, that idea of firing yourself, somebody, I don't know, I don't know where I had heard that, but, you know, probably five years ago, maybe longer, you know, that, that idea began to form in my head for me to do what was best in day to day for Synergy doing a podcast, for example, years ago, I couldn't, I didn't have the time because I had not fired myself from enough things to allow me to have the time to go and do this, which, you know, is something that is, you know, helpful in terms of the marketing end of our business and connecting our law firm clients with each other and creating community, you know, being able to do that really, it was a function of firing myself from a lot of things that I was doing day to day that I didn't need to be doing anymore day to day because we had a team to do it. So either you start to hire people or you trust the people that are on your team to do things that they can do that perhaps you've just never allowed them to do. Yeah. I mean, delegating is a beautiful gift to yourself and to your team because you're, you're empowering them, you're teaching them, you're training them and adding to their skill set, And I know like lawyers, we're, we kind of suck at delegating. Um, and we're scared to do it. But again, it's a little bit of an art, but if you can just remember that, yeah, they're not going to get it right the first time. Maybe, maybe it does. Maybe you can do it faster. Maybe you even do it a little bit better, but you should still delegate it. That's what I want you to hear. And, and you should still get it off your plate. Before we um, started the podcast, you know, I were chatting a little bit and you were telling me about a, a law firm that you had worked with that had gotten a $100 million verdict, which is in, an incredible result. 
but the idea that the law firm began to spin up and build the size of the law firm off of a single case, not that, not specifically about the the verdict, but are, are, what what's the learning coming out of that kind of an experience that you think would be helpful to other personal injury law firms? Yeah, I think it was. Um, so again, this is the PI lawyer who also does coaching work for us and so works with other lawyers. And what he was able to do was when he got this case in five years ago, his firm was was smaller, right? It was him, one other um, partner and um, an assistant. And he recognized that this injury was pretty significant and had the potential to be a very big case. And at that moment, he didn't necessarily have the resources to support that case. And I feel like this is the kind of case that probably bankrupts some law firms, right? Because feels like it probably feels like this is going to be my big win, but you've got to spend a lot to get there. Like there were a ton of experts in this case. It's a very expensive case to get. To, and they had a, I mean, they were in trial for a month in this particular case. So um, his one partner has spent 11 months, the last 11 months only working on this case. When you have two guys and an assistant, like that's probably not possible. So five years ago, when he got this case in, he recognized he needed to do something different. And he started strategically building a business that would allow them to have the resources to take this case all the way to trial as he knew it was going to be. And so he started focusing on being client centered. He, uh, he hired a client happiness coordinator is one of the people on their team. Um, I actually did a podcast, our podcast, we, we did an episode with her and, and him on that. Like, what does she do? Her whole job is to keep their clients happy. And that looks like a lot of different things, but that's what he did. He's like, I'm going to double down on giving the best client experience that he, I can. He also wasn't spending a ton on marketing. Like he couldn't compete in the Orlando market with Morgan and Morgan, but he knew if he gave clients communication and a great experience that they would continue to support him. And that's what's happened. So today, five years later, they've just gotten this amazing verdict. He also now has a team of 29 people because he's continued to organically build his company and his business by just being client centered. So I think it's an amazing, like I love, I'm so happy for him and proud of him. And it's just an amazing success story, but it's a great example to other lawyers of being strategic and thoughtful about your business, how you're going to build your business and then the follow through it takes. And now he's getting rewarded with the largest verdict we think in, in Connecticut history. So it's awesome. I had also heard you talk about something which I thought was a, a pretty important thing to chat about. Um, and it was because we talked about communications and failing to communicate enough, but it was also the idea of making sure that you balance client, client communication time with head, heads down working time is, I think, what you you called it and setting appropriate boundaries as well as client expectations. Can you talk about maybe the two to three or four or even five of the best practices as it relates to that kind of concept, that idea? Yeah. I mean, you cannot multitask. Here's the, that's the big news, right? We think we can, but our brain actually isn't able to do two cognitive functions at once. Instead, it switches back and forth. Like if you have a brief up on one screen and an email out up on another, because we think we're very clever these days. We have multiple screens so that we can keep all these things. And then we think that we can do all these things at once, but we're not actually doing those things at once. So your brain starts to process the email. It thinks about the brief. It goes back and forth very quickly. But yet in that process, it actually slows down. And so they've done research on this and they're like, your IQ drops when you try to multitask. Like there's there's really fascinating research out there that says we, we're not good at, we can't do it. And we also know that when we get interrupted, it sometimes, it, for most people, it can take up to 23, 26 minutes to refocus our attention back on the task at hand. And so that means we have to be really protective of our focus time. We can't have email up while we're working on that very important brief or the demand letter or whatever it is. We need to have all the things shut down so that we can just focus on the task at hand and put our whole brain power and creativity and everything into that job. 
Um, and so let's see, I got lost in my train of thought, but that was, that's the first thing to know. Like you have to start with that. And so you, in today's world, it is hard. You, you can create that, but again, it just starts with being intentional. And so now like the lawyers I work with, we, they train their clients to understand from day one, this is how I communicate and this is how I work. So guess what? If you email me in the middle of the day, I'm not, you're not going to get a response in 90 seconds, maybe even five minutes, maybe even four hours, because I only check my email twice a day because email is a tool for communication, but you didn't hire me to be a customer service rep. You hired me for my lawyer brain, which requires me to have focused time to actually do my work. So I have lawyers who now explain this to their clients and I have lawyers whose clients brag about the fact that the, my lawyer won't take a phone call from me that's not scheduled. You know, they don't like they're excited by it because they now understand the why behind the communication rule. And so if you give the clients that context, they'll be all for it. And so that allows you so you don't do it in a vacuum, but then that allows you to set up your focus time, when you're going to have your heads down time, when you're going to process emails and how you process emails. And by the way, that's what you do. You don't live in your inbox all day. That's a terrible way. You're just giving your agenda over to 350 strangers or however many emails you get. Um, and so instead you process your email two to three times a day, think of it like food and never eat before you go to bed and you only bite what you can chew, right? Those are your three rules. Just like eating, that's how you think of your inbox. It works. And, and by the way, it also works when you're now being proactive and doing what I said with creating those client communications, maybe automating client communications, keeping clients up to date on where their case is. We also know that when you do that, it significantly reduces the amount of incoming calls and emails your firm's going to receive. So all of this will work together and allow you to have more focus time to do the things that you want to do and not just, you know, spaz out all day responding to emails. Along those um, same lines, you know, how do you build systems and processes to give you time to work on your law firm? Because yeah. if you're not intentional about it, it's just simply not going to happen. Yeah, this is the hardest thing to do to get started. It like to first don't let it overwhelm you. But it's like an elephant, right? To how do you eat it one bite at a time? And so you just need to get started. So give yourself an hour, 2 hours, 3 hours a week. I want you to take that time, block it off on your calendar. That's going to be the time you spend working on your business and you're going to protect that time just like you would a court date or anything else. Lawyers do a really weird thing in our head. We have this concept of billable time and non-billable time. I used to bill by point one, so I, I'm very good with timekeeping. And in our heads, we do a thing where we say, if it's not billable, it's not valuable. And so we think that only when we're working on billable work, client work, are we actually being you know, valuable or profitable to our business. And I'm here to tell you that if I said, hey, let's spend 10 hours building out a product that you could sell. Let's just use this, an example. Let's say I say you can sell that product for um, $5,000 and you'll sell a hundred of them every month next year. Would you be willing to spend that 10 hours on that product and building it? Of course you would, because it's going to be very profitable, right? Like that's going to have a, a, a return that you're going to keep getting. And so Here's what I'm telling you right now, spending that one, two, three hours a week to get started working on your business, building these processes. You just start with the first one, either, either it can be like the biggest bottleneck, or you could just pick something that sounds simple. Oh, let me just come up with a, you know, a, let me come up with a communication that's going to answer some frequently asked questions on the front end. You, you pick, but every hour you spend on that work is valuable. It will help you be more profitable. So it is worth the investment and you just have to make the time and make it happen and also be smart about it and outsource when you can. So if, you know, if one of the things is that you want to do is create an infographic um, for your clients, maybe you come up with the concept, 
Well, then find somebody to create the infographic. It doesn't mean you have to be the graphic designer and do the things, right? Or have somebody else edit your videos. In today's world, it's so easy to find outsourced help, remote help. You know, you can hire people by the project or you could just get, you know, VAs. Like there's really no reason to not just get started. A couple more questions since we're, we're coming toward towards the end of our time together. I, I saw the description of lawyer as being a community built around the values or ideals of being intentional, entrepreneurial, empathetic, self-aware, adaptable, and tech-enabled. What are some of the reasons for a lawyer or a law firm to invest in a professional or business coach for their business? Yeah, great question. I think one, this is what lots of people do. So by the way, like most business business professionals out there will tell you that at some time they've worked with, you know, a coach. And so it's not a foreign concept. It's a foreign concept sometimes to lawyers, but it's not to other business professionals. And so what that coach will potentially help you to do, and you need to find the right one and you need to understand what it is you want to get out of that relationship and what you need help with. Um, but I tell people like I kind of wear a coach consultant slash trainer hat. So I, I really think I do all three. So sometimes my job is to help people understand, like process their thoughts and their priorities. Like maybe they have a couple of options and they're not sure which, which way to go with the decision, right? As the business owner, you, you don't always have someone to just go kick around ideas when it comes to your business and business decisions. So a coach can do that in a very structured way and help you process those decisions that you're making so that you can come to a better one. Um, sometimes we teach you and we train you, like maybe you didn't understand, like maybe you didn't know about that you were wearing so many hats and I can help you unpack that and figure out how to get started on using some of these tools or how to, how to build a business strategy. Like in our program, we have a lot of templated documents and worksheets to help people get started because they're like, I don't even know where to begin. I know I need KPIs. I, I What should I be measuring? And so we have, so I can provide content and actually help teach what, you know, like what we said, what law school left out. Um, and then there's an element of an accountability. Like sometimes I, I when I was practicing law and I knew I was going to get on the phone with my coach, I'd be like, oh, I better do that thing I said I was going to do because someone's actually going to ask me and, and hold me accountable to doing that task. So let's just be honest. We all need that sometimes in our life. And so we do that role. And then in some programs like ours, you also get to connect with other business owners, other lawyers, and there's real comfort in hearing that you're not alone. You're not crazy. You're not the only one struggling. You're not the only one who's thinking about these things or trying to figure stuff out. And maybe somebody else just unlocked the thing that you've been working on, or maybe it's just comforting to hear somebody else had that same issue. And so there's real power in community lawyers by our nature. We have V's in between our name, right? Like it's always us versus somebody else. But outside of law in the other business world, business owners come together all the time and learn from each other and collaborate with each other and help one another. And there's real power to doing that. And so we don't need to be afraid of it just because we were sort of trained to be adverse to everybody else that's not at our law firm. It's okay. Like, I'm not saying you have to go collaborate with your fiercest competitor, but you can find communities out there. And you can learn even from other practitioners who are not doing PI. Maybe there, I see this all the time. We tend to think like, well, I can only, I should only connect with other PI lawyers. It's good to connect with other PI lawyers, but it's also good to hear, you know, what are the estate planners doing? Maybe they've unlocked something for their business. I mean, when it comes to some things with business, it's all the same. It's just how we position ourselves and our stories. I mean, contingency fee work I'll give you is different in that business model inventory I was talking about. But there's learnings you can pick up. Maybe, you know, the estate planner figured out how to hire by using this really um, amazing interview question. And you would pick up from that. Like that's shared knowledge that you guys can share and it would be impactful. I could not agree more strongly with what you said about the value of peer advisement groups. I mean, I've been doing that to 
help Synergy in, in, in my role as CEO for years and years and years. And every time I've had a challenge or opportunities in asking groups of CEOs that have nothing to do, don't know anything about what we do, which is really a, you know, a niche, it's so helpful to get that kind of feedback. And you know, the accountability side of it too is a big thing, you know, to make sure that you follow through on things that you know are important, but you put it down on a piece of paper and unless you hold unless you're really good at holding your own self accountable, sometimes those things just simply don't get done. Um, but they need to get done to move the business forward. And so that what you've just talked about to me is is such an important part about getting better because it's such a great opportunity that you can you can take advantage of to to get better at your business because no matter how successful your law firm is or company is there's always more that you can do to have a better client experience or just simply have the business run more efficiently yeah sometimes you get really great ideas i mean also don't be afraid to collaborate with people outside of legal right like dentists or I mean I got a really great idea from a guy who has a chiropractor business and I was like yeah like and I tell that to, I tell that idea to my lawyers all the time now so you know we are not so special <laughs> it's good to go outside of legal see what other people are doing I mean you know I had I'll just tell this quick story I know we're, we're probably wrapping up my husband and I went on an anniversary dinner. So we went to a fancier restaurant in town and we had an amazing meal. And of course we had amazing service throughout. But what I remember most is that as we were walking out the door, the host came up to us and said, oh, you know, before you leave, I've packaged up two fresh scones for you to enjoy for breakfast tomorrow. Here they are. And they gave it to us in this nice little cute bag. You know, please enjoy this tomorrow morning. And well, we, of course we did. And what did we do the next morning? We relived the amazing dinner we had. Like we were just like, that was such a great dinner. What a great experience. These scones are great. Like, I don't even remember if the scones were that tasty, but in my mind now they were the best thing. It was just this extra little surprise and delight at the end of the meal and it made us relive that experience and love that restaurant forever. What could we do as a law firm? Like it, maybe it's not a scone on the way out the door, but you know, how can you bring that same kind of special touch and surprise and delight to your clients so that they are talking about you and loving you, you know, years after the fact. Great point. Uh, last question. So I wanted to, to ask you about the idea of, of non-lawyer ownership of law firms. I know um, DC, uh, Arizona, and Utah are, are areas where that's permissible. And I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about the future of the practice of law and how things may change, especially you know when you talk about it running as a business. If, if you start to have non-lawyer owners, then you know, perhaps that shift is going to be a much more seismic uh, shift coming down the road. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's coming. I think we're just starting to see it open up. I mean, I know the ABA kind of came out with this resolution over the summer and it tried to maybe squash it a little bit, but I think it's a temporary thing. I think in the next, I don't know how long it's going to be, but this is just going to continue to push forward and this change is going to happen, I, I think. And I think it's good for the practice. Ultimately, um, it will probably come with a new set of challenges, but it, I hope it means that we're better business owners, which allows us to deliver better services to our clients at the end of the day and serve more people. I mean, the reality is there are still so many people with legal issues who don't get help from lawyers. And that's just an industry wide problem that we have to solve. Um, I guess the point, so since I can't predict the future entirely, here's what I'm telling my lawyers is, um, you should be building now, like you should treat your firm, your business as an appreciable asset because it is. So, you know, if you've read the book built to sell, it's a quick little easy read, but the concept is simple. Like build this thing today as if you're going to sell it at some point, even if the opportunities to sell at the time you're ready to do something different 
aren't quite where I predict they were going to be, your business will be better off at that point and all along the way, right? You're just going to build a better business. And so the when I work with attorneys, we go through an exercise where they actually practice pitching their firm. Like what, when are you going to pitch it? It's it's in 10 years. What are you going to say about your business? Why would somebody want to buy it? What is it going to be worth? And we go through a valuation exercise with them. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want them to start building that thing now. And so while I can't completely predict the future, like I wish I could, what I can tell you is you will not be hurt by building your business in a thoughtful way with an eye towards having the opportunity to sell it one day. And I guess the last thing I'll say about that is we've actually been selling law firms our entire history. We just think of it different. We just don't call it that because it's like we promote an associate and, and we somehow say like in in that, but that is a transaction. So if you bring in a new partner, a new equity partner into your firm, guess what? You have just made a, a transaction. That was an equity change in your ownership of your business, whether and you get to decide if that person had to give you money and buy in for it. Um, But that's how you should start thinking about it. And so there's still even today, there are opportunities to sell your practice. Um, Those are happening every day. And we're only seeing that market grow, quite frankly. Well, you've given uh, a lot of things to think about today and some some great advice. I appreciate that Stephanie, um, if somebody is interested in working with you or lawyerist, how's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, if you go to the website lawyerist.com, lawyerist.com, um, first of all, it's just packed with tons of information about how to run your business. So I just recommend it to everyone because it's just we have such great content on there, and you can just go and learn about a lot of the things I just said, and you can also find, you know services that you might and tools you might want for your firm. So I really love our website. It's just a great place to go. Um, From there, you'll see the coaching page if you're interested in that specifically. Or, you know, I love to talk to people. So you can always email me at stephanie at lawyerist.com if you have questions or if something piqued your interest from this this interview. Um, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Stephanie on Trial Law Review, and we'll see everybody on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Trial Lawyer Review. You can find more at triallawyerreview.com and look for more episodes and more content coming in the future.